yeah, lots of exciting things to talk about today, but please don't forget the worship, okay? Everything that I want you to understand today springs out of what we have sung in our hearts in worship this morning. And the things we have declared, God's promises to you are true and are fulfilled in Christ. They are fulfilled. So prophesy as as it has happened already, but God's promises are fulfilled in Christ. Not will be, they are. It's okay, you can rely on that. Now, just for those of you who are visiting with us today, we are nearly at the end of a course called the Bible Course, which is organized and put together by the Bible Society, and we have been working our way through the Bible. And this is our Bible timeline, and you will see all the different books of the Bible are placed on it. And if you want a deeper explanation of how what these different things mean on there, then please ask anybody in the church who has been paying minute attention and also been studying it during the week. So it's all there for you. I don't have to do that. However, let's just think uh, what has been happening. We've seen how God has been speaking to people We've seen how God is involved right at the very beginning in creation. Creation is here because God spoke. Yes? And all the way through here, God is speaking to his chosen people, whether that's a family or a family that established a nation. And whether it's a nation that grows and splits and has its problems and goes away from God and back to God again, God is speaking all the way through the Bible. And we can read that and we can understand it and we can feel and know that in our hearts. And then God comes, Jesus, God with us, Emmanuel. We celebrated Christmas, the birth of Jesus. God comes to be with us. And in the Gospels, we read the words of Jesus and we understand his message of love, his message of of, of invitation to come, to come to him. And see all of our burdens lifted off. Because the burden, the rucksack, if you like, he puts on us is light and easy. And today we'll find out why that is light and easy. Because we're going to be looking in Acts. So we can put Acts on here now. So after the time of Christ comes Acts. This is really great. There's some really good stuff in here. So... We heard about Jesus' resurrection. Is this going to work for me? We heard about Jesus' resurrection. Pentecost comes. And what happens at Pentecost? Fire. He didn't turn the sound on, or is it not gone? Oh, let's do that again. (sighs) Try again. Pentecost. What happened at Pentecost? An absolute explosion of fire. You didn't jump out of your skins quite as much with the pre-warning, but never mind, that's okay. Because this is what the Holy Spirit is about. And what happens as a result of that? Well, so many things in Acts, but even today. Today, 2.3 billion people follow Jesus. Whoa! All because of that explosion of the Holy Spirit that came to energize people, to energize ministry, to energize us to live the way that Jesus said we could live. Said we could live. So we're looking at Acts. Acts of the Apostles. 
This is a book written again by Dr. Luke. Do you remember we talked about the Gospels down here? And Luke is there, written by a man who's highly educated. He was a medic. He was also, he was, you know, Greek educated. So he was a man who knew stuff. He knew how to do research, how to understand things. And he wrote his Gospel to his friend Theophilus so that he might understand. And now he continues the story of what happened next after Jesus' resurrection and ascension into heaven. Uh, and there's an interesting symmetry in this. The Gospels, if you like, talks about and tells us about how Jesus walked this earth, healed the sick, and preaches the good news. Acts is the same. Only now it's his followers who are healing the sick and preaching the good news. Because it's the same God. It's the same God. The ministry that Jesus started is being carried on in Acts of the Apostles. The Holy Spirit is enabling them to do that. How is it possible? I've just given you the answer. How can ordinary people like you and me, because that's who they were, how can ordinary people like you and me do the things that Jesus did? In Acts 1.8, Jesus says this to his followers. He says, you will receive power. You will receive power. That's a promise. It's a guarantee, if you like. It's underwritten by the King of Kings and Lord of Lords, so it's incontrovertible. You will receive power. And so the story of Acts, then, uh, is, is the story of the Holy Spirit working through Christ's followers. You could actually rename the title, couldn't you? Acts of the Holy Spirit. That's what's going on. That's what's happening. The book itself is actually kind of divided into two halves, if you like. It's a book of two halves, like a football game. Uh, First half is Acts 1 to Acts 12. That's Pentecost. And everything's based in Jerusalem. And the main character, if you like, there is Peter. You remember how after after Pentecost, Peter stands up and explains what's going on. Who's arrested? Peter, Peter and John, and Peter stands before all those highly educated people, the fishermen, and tells them what they should already know. It's Peter who's the main player there. But then Acts 13 on to 28, it shifts. And now we see Paul, along with others, you know, the other people who work with him and, and do other missions, but it's Paul and his missionary trips out into Greece and Turkey and Rome that is the main theme of the story. So that's a quick overview of what Acts is and what it's doing. So there we go. What's we are? So where are we? Oh, gosh, yes. So the interesting thing is that you, church, you are here. So up until now, we've been looking, if you like, at what God has been doing, preparing for this amazing moment when he would send his son as saviour to the world. And now we're in what you call the church age. Are you in church? Are you a member of a church? Are you a member of the body of Christ? You are here. This is you. Acts is talking about how and who you can be. This part of the New Testament onwards is about you and about your life and about how you can live that life. Wow. God is in you. Before, the Bible says, God spoke through the prophets and through others. 
But now, God has spoken through his Son. But his Son has been raised to heaven. Hallelujah, because now the Holy Spirit can be in you, and God dwells in you and speaks direct to you. This is the really exciting part, if you like. There's some great stuff to come next week with Claire, but this is where you are. So let's really look at what's going on here. Okay, so let's go back and think about think about Pentecost. So at Pentecost, there are 120 followers have been meeting to pray. Because Jesus said, go there and wait. And so there's that many of them been regularly meeting, coming together, church meetings. And then suddenly, suddenly, Acts 2, the very beginning of that, comes a loud sound like a rushing wind. So a loud sound like that. There may have been wind involved, but it's what it sounded like. And flames, tongues of flames come into that room where those people are praying. Interesting. Where else do we see flames in the Bible? Anybody? Burning bush. That's a good one. Any other flames you can think of? Daniel in the fire. Presence of God in in such an amazing way. You know. Sorry. Elijah. Thank you. Yes. So when you're thinking about these flames, think about all those other points in the Bible when we read about flame and the presence of God. So important to know that. So, however, these flames are coming as fire. Tongues of fire. Yes, Elijah, Israel, Mount Sinai, Moses, the burning bush. The New Testament fire takes up residence in people. It's not a, a distant fire. It's a fire which comes and rests on the people of God. It's amazing. All of them were filled. All of them were filled. Was anybody missed out? Was anybody missed out? No. So, is anybody going to be missed out? No, thank you. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit. Something else came. A unity, tongues, proper spoken words. They began to speak in all kinds of languages. What's the counterpoint to that in the Old Testament? Any guesses? Babel. Oh, I love it. You've all been listening. This is so good. So good. Babel. When God split all of their languages because they got so above themselves, they thought we could even reach the heavens because we are so great says God. Mess you up. Different languages. Now the Holy Spirit comes to restore. There's unity. Everybody can hear God being praised in their own language. In little, well, not little Jerusalem, but in Jerusalem, some Middle Eastern place where everybody's coming, they hear their own languages. This is a glimpse of the future, isn't it? Will we all understand each other in heaven? We certainly will. I like some good strong yes. Thank you. This is a glimpse of the future. The Holy Spirit comes and brings unity. They are all worshipping and praising God together. It doesn't matter what tongue they're using because everybody's hearing it and understanding. This is absolutely incredible. Something big is happening. Are you getting that idea? Courage. Courage. Just 50 days earlier, 
What was Peter doing? Denying. He was, he was trembling in that marketplace. I don't know Jesus, he was saying. He was, who, who can blame him? We all know what was going on. Who can blame him? But what's happening now? He stands up in the midst of all this commotion in Jerusalem, you know, center of attention. I want to tell you what's going on. And he proclaims the good news of Jesus. Do read his, um, his preach. It's, it's so amazing. So amazing. What's the difference? He's filled with the Holy Spirit. Do we know of examples of that in our lives where perhaps we've, we've spoken up and, and, and put our head above the parapet and just declared God's truth, even in a situation we might normally have been frightened about? Yeah, thank you. Good. Yeah, I remember being interviewed for a job in a well-known scientific institution, uh, and they said, well, how does your Christian faith work with that then? That's not part of the interview at all. You're probably not even allowed to say that, are you? But I had to, I had to answer that question. So I did. Courage. A new courage. Without the Holy Spirit, we can easily hide and cower. With the Holy Spirit, He strengthens us and empowers us to do those amazing things. And new community. That is the birthday of the church. Pentecost. We often say that. Look at uh, Acts 2, 41 to 42. 3,000 baptized that day, brought into the body of Christ. You're going to need a pretty big pond for that, aren't you, really? <laughs> Even one at a time, they're going to take water out with them. You, it's, it's amazing, absolutely amazing. All because you will receive power. How's your phone doing? Take your phone out. I don't often say that in my preach. Take your phone out. Who's got 100%? Let me just see what mine is, because mine's running a clock down here, so I don't overrun. Mmm, dear, 94. 96. Anyway, we got 100%. No, you have. Brilliant. Thank you. You've not been overusing your phone this morning. It's really good. That's fine. Yeah, just cheer you on there. This is one of those power packs, isn't it, that you can charge your phone up with. I've got the cable in here somewhere, so that you know, know what's going on. So that if that was beginning to run out... I could help it out with a little bit of power. And you see people playing Pokemon on the street, and that really drains your battery down, or other things they're doing. So they're walking around not just with their phone, but a power pack in their pocket, probably getting really hot, um, because they have to keep recharging it. Holy Spirit, God said you will receive power. You don't have to have that battery anxiety. Anybody got an electric car? No, or electric vehicle? No, no. Sorry? Hybrid, but you need something to recharge the batteries in it, don't you? Yeah, exactly. Otherwise, you get that range anxiety issue of, am I going to get there and back, or will I have to turn the lights on, and that's it, and I'll, I'll get halfway home, and, and, and it won't happen. It's the same with our phones. Can it be the same with our Christian walk? We need that power pack. It is the Holy Spirit. He is our power. You will receive power. What happens as a result, this is all what's going on in Acts. What happens as a result? Growth. Growth happens. And if you look in Acts, you'll see there's actually three cycles of expansion. We'll look briefly at one of them. Um, there's one in Acts 3 to 4. There's one in Acts 5 to 6. 
and there's one in Acts 7 to 8. Three cycles of expansion happening as God comes, things happen, and the church grows as a result. Let's just think about the third cycle. Stephen. Who was Stephen? Was Stephen an apostle? No. Who was Stephen? What was his job? What was his role in the church? Yeah, but what, before that, what was he, what was his job? He was an administrator. He, he checked, he basically ran the welfare system in the church to make sure the people got fed, you know, and, and as needed to be. Make sure the Jews and the Greeks didn't kind of outdo each other in getting the food at tables, all kinds of things. So he ran one of the ministries. He wasn't an apostle, but it's Stephen who is, as you quite rightly said, the first martyr. Growth. So these growths, what happens in this growth is a few things. First of all, something miraculous happens. For Stephen, there was some healing. Something miraculous happened. And then, because of that, preaching of the word takes root, and people hear the truth and the good news of Jesus. And then what happens? Persecution. Were you expecting that? No. So this happens. There, there's, you know, there, there's this, this cycle of, of, of a miracle, preaching, like an early Bible course, if you like, and then persecution. They cast Stephen out of the, of the town, and they stoned him to death. Many fled Jerusalem because of that, because a great thing came against the church at that time. Many fled Jerusalem, but hey, hang on, here's the surprise they ended up spreading the good news as they fled to the whole area around. God does things in some pretty strange ways at times, but he has a plan. Look, this plan's been going all the way through time. God has a plan. So many flee, but do you know what? That's okay, because God has a plan, and the persecution ends up spreading the good news. And that continues today. Think about the house church movement in China. Are they persecuted? Yeah, they're persecuted. Does that mean there isn't any growth? No, there's astonishing growth in the church. And and at the moment, we're expecting, so looking at projections, by 2030, that's only 10 years away now, 150 million Christians probably in China. Whoa. This growth is still happening. 2.3 billion Christians today haven't come from the Holy Spirit doing nothing, hasn't come from the church hiding away behind the the parapets. The Holy Spirit is moving and continues to move. A guy called Tertullian said, um, so he lived around about uh, AD 155 to 240, he said, the blood of martyrs is the seed of the church. Hence, a seed. That could be scary, or it could be encouraging. Because, you know, here we are, UK 2020. Persecution isn't like that here, is it? No, it's not. Let's be honest. Persecution isn't like that here. Does that mean, therefore, the church can't grow here? No, of course it doesn't. It doesn't mean that at all. Sacrifice comes in different kinds of ways. Laying down your life can mean standing up for Jesus just where you are, in the workplace, in school, in your community. Offering your lives as a living sacrifice, comes from Romans, doesn't it? 
Offering your lives as a living sacrifice can mean putting self aside and meeting the needs of others. Showing God's love in practical ways. In fact, that's exactly what Paul's getting at in, in Romans. Let's just have a quickie look. I do like this guy. Anybody heard of John Stott? Yeah, pretty good Bible teacher. Okay, pretty good Bible teacher. He's edited a series, um, and there's a, one of these books for every book in the Bible called The Bible Speaks Today, but on this one in Romans, he actually wrote it. And I, I like it because it's really good, solid teaching. So if anybody wants to get some good, solid teaching and into the Bible, this is an excellent series. But listen to what he says here. Just So we're just looking at Romans, okay? Romans... 8, thinking about Romans 8 and how that talks about living in the spirit and how that's a contrast against living in the flesh. So John Stott says this, for against indwelling sin, which is the reason the law is unable to help us in our moral struggle, Paul now sets the indwelling spirit, who is both our liberator now from the law of sin and death and the guarantee of resurrection and eternal glory in the end. Thus, The Christian life is essentially life in the spirit. That is to say, a life which is animated, sustained, directed, and enriched by the Holy Spirit. Without the Holy Spirit, true Christian discipleship would be inconceivable, indeed impossible. Life in the spirit is number one, the thing I want you to remember and take away from this. The Holy Spirit has been sent that you may have power. And actually, you can't live the way you're called. You can't live for Christ without it. But what does it say about sacrifice? So, at the beginning of 12, um, you know, Paul says, you know, give your lives as a living sacrifice. This is your act of worship. Well, think about this. So, this is about sanctification, about being holy, about following God. This is your act of worship. Worship is about giving to God. Uh, and it's, it, So John Stott translates and understands what is said in Romans this way. He says, Christian sanctity shows itself in the deeds of the body. If you're changed inside, what you do, how you act will also be changed. So we are to offer the different parts of our bodies, not, as, not, as, as, not to sin as instruments of wickedness, but to God as instruments of righteousness. Then our feet will walk in his paths. Our lips will speak the truth and spread the gospel. Our tongues will bring healing. Our hands will lift up those who've fallen and perform many mundane tasks as well, like cooking and cleaning, typing and mending. Our arms will embrace the lonely and the unloved. Our ears will listen to the cries of the distressed and our eyes will look humbly and patiently towards God. That's giving your life as a living sacrifice. And that's the second part that I want you to understand. If you've ever struggled with what that means, get to grips with some of the stuff in the Bible because it's the Holy Spirit that empowers us to do those things, changes us from the inside out and enables us, gives us the power, but gives us the will to want to do those things as well. And so, okay, maybe persecution isn't happening, but we can still give our bodies as a living sacrifice. The the word, the church, can still grow as we give 
of ourselves. And we can see miracles as we pray. We can preach the good news as people come and and accept and come alongside us. And yes, it does mean sacrifice. But do you know, that's what we're called to do. That is what we're called to do. So the second half of the Bible then shifts towards Paul. Saul, who became Paul. Strange guy, really, to to ask. So he, he was there at Stephen's persecution. He was holding the coats while people stoned him to death. He was on the other side. But something happens, doesn't it? Something happens to Paul. But why? Why Paul? Have you ever thought that? Paul, you know, God doesn't do things by accident, so he chose Paul for some clear reasons. Here's Paul's qualifications. He was a Roman citizen. What does that mean? He has political protection across the whole rule of Rome. He can appeal to Caesar. Being a Roman citizen gives him a key advantage. In addition, he's well-educated in Greek literature and philosophy. That dominated the thinking of the day. So he was, if you like, he was one of those, those people you can look to to kind of understand the culture. He would look around him, and he would know the culture of the people that are there as he goes out into the world. As he goes out into the known world then on his missionary journeys, he knew how people thought, what they were looking for, their hopes and desires. He knew the situation in his society because he was educated in all of those things that dominated the thinking of today. If you don't think you need to understand what the world thinks, you don't need to let it rule you, you don't need to let it in, but you need to know what people are thinking, otherwise you won't be able to connect with them. I've become all things, Paul says, so that some may hear, so that I can communicate the gospel. If you want to connect with those young people, us grey hairs, we need to understand a little bit about them and what they're saying and how their life is put together. It's no good just thinking, well, it's all the same as it was last century. It ain't. It's very, very different. But he was educated in that. And last of all, he was a proud Jew. Was he proud of his Jewish ancestry and his upbringing and his education? He certainly was, in the right kind of way. He was educated by a famous Jewish rabbi. Not just anybody. He went to the Oxbridge of his day. Okay? And anybody who knew anything would know that. You know that, um, those of you who've got Cambridge degrees and PhDs, that, that Cambridge ticket to success, he had it. He had it. And yet God changed that and turned that for his own use. He knew scripture backwards. Literally, almost. He, it, it filled him. It lived in him, and now when Christ comes into his life and the Holy Spirit fills him, it bursts with energy so that he can now explain what God is really doing from the beginning. He knows all this stuff, but now he knows this. And now he's filled with the Holy Spirit. And boy, does it make a difference. He may have thought he was doing good stuff before, but now, woo! So here's some things. He had a couple of things he needed to do. He had some jobs to do, okay? He was sent out. He was sent out, wasn't he, on missionary journeys. And his first journey caused a little bit of controversy. It really did. 
especially among a group called the circumcision group back in Jerusalem. They were people who said, well, you can't actually be a Christian. You can't really follow God unless you've been circumcised and unless you follow all that the law says. You have to have all of this in your life before you can progress beyond this point. Paul saw something else. Paul saw something else. So they thought what you needed was Jesus plus Jewish law, and then you would get saved. And they especially thought circumcision was an important thing, guys. Paul argues Jesus and anything else, anything else equals nothing. You can't add stuff to the the good news of Jesus. It ruins it, makes it rubbish. Instead, Jesus and Jesus alone equals salvation. In Acts 16.31, he talks to some prison guards, and he says this simple little thing, believe in the Lord Jesus, and you will be saved. Not going to church. Not even getting baptized. That's a response to salvation. Not doing good things. Not getting circumcised. Not obeying all these laws and everything. Believe in the Lord Jesus, and you will be saved. That's our message. That's our message. That's quite amazing. Quite, quite amazing. Is that what we've got there? Christ alone is his first point that he needs to make. And they have a bit of an argument over this, and they have a crisis meeting, a church meeting called the Council of Jerusalem. You'll find out in Acts 15, and the decision is clear. Anybody here not a Jew? Are you a Gentile today, this morning? Yeah, probably most of us. I'm not sure. I'm not aware of anybody who's Jewish. You may be. But this is for us. This is really clear. The decision was that actually Jewish laws are not necessary for the Gentiles. Christ alone, in Christ, you are saved. Christ has dealt with all of that. That's not to say you can behave as you please, but Christ has dealt with it. All of that has been dealt with in your life if you're a believer in Jesus. This is really, really important stuff that's coming out here that Paul is able to understand and articulate because of those qualifications he has. So they send out a letter to all the churches that, that Paul started uh, around, the, around the area and says, look, uh, and this is Acts 15, 28 to 29, we just say that you should abstain from stuff that's been sacrificed to idols not just food, but other things as well. Be careful how you read that. You know, things that have been strangled, and also sexual immorality. Those are the two things that they say. That's kind of interesting, isn't it? Maybe we should think about what idols uh, and, and uh, the, the idea of sexual immorality, How? why are those picked out and important? Something for you to study. And then his second job is mission. He goes out. He sets off to the ends of the earth. He sets off to the ends of the earth. He has a particular strategy. One, he goes to an urban location with influence that can reach the whole regions. For example, in Ephesus. I I spoke at the the, uh, the, uh, Plum Line Ministries Leaders Conference last year on what happened in Ephesus. 
He goes to a place like Ephesus, which is a, a kind of cultural center. It's a, it's a trade center. Lots of different nations meet there. It's on, it's on important routes that come through there across Asia and into the sea. So he goes to something that's important. He goes to an urban center. And what does he do? He teaches through creative preaching. He doesn't, he doesn't just read the Bible, he explains it. He looks around him, remember he's, he's educated Greek, he knows and understands the times, he knows what's going on, he says, do you see this? This is speaking to you about God in this particular way. The gospel is versatile. The good news is able to reach anybody and everybody, any culture. He usually started in a synagogue using scrolls to prove how Jesus was the Messiah, but he also preaches to Greek audiences in Athens on Mars Hill. And he he quotes their own celebrities of the day, if you like, some of the gods and others. He quotes them and says, but look, what they're trying to tell you really is this, Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. He is part of his society and he doesn't shy away from that. He won't let it into him, but he addresses it in a way that helps people understand who God is, and who Jesus is. So he goes to the urban centers, he, he preaches creatively, and then he, he plants a church. He plants radical new communities of faith where all social divisions are broken down. What does he say? There's no longer Jew or Gentile. There's no longer masters or slaves. There's no longer male or female. All are one in Christ. And that's the way you run your church. That's the way you live for each other in this location. Everything, so much of what he teaches comes out of those things. So we said earlier that um, we had a bit of a joke that I've got so many books to do. Helen was saying, I seem to get all the ones with loads. I've got Acts here, but of course down below here where you can't see, I've got all of these epistles. A huge number down here uh, that were written by Paul. Talk about Paul and Peter. Some written here by others, Hebrews, we're not sure who wrote that one. Um, All of these epistles that were written, what are these for? Paul, thank you. Thank you, Brother Paul. Thank you, Brother Paul, for writing all the letters that you wrote, that we could understand what you were teaching, that we could understand all of this stuff, we could understand this, and we could understand this and know and get deep into what our Christian life is all about. But, you know, we need to be careful with that, because Paul, as I said, understood his his surroundings, understood his situation, and spoke to them. So we need to think, when we read the epistles, what is the original context? You know, what's going on? E.g., in Corinth, he talks about some of the ethical dilemmas that new Christians faced. They were sleeping around and then turning up for church like that was okay. So he wanted to talk to them about that. But that still has wisdom for you and I today. It still has wisdom for you and I today. We just need to understand quite what that means. Um, in, in 1 Corinthians 6, he says, flee from sexual immorality. Does that speak to our culture? It does. They might not want to hear it. Perhaps we might not want to hear it. But it speaks into our culture even today. Maybe in different ways, but it does speak. So look at the original context and understand what is being said and to whom and to why and then ask, what does that mean in the here and now? 
So back there, uh, Paul tells people to greet one another with a holy kiss. Who was kissed in a holy way this morning as they came in? Well, what can I say? Church, we're falling down on the job. Scripture instructs you to greet one another with a holy kiss. Well, hang on, that was context. (laughs) That's exactly what they would do. That's how they would greet one. If you go to France, you may well be kissed on both cheeks. And when you meet an Algerian Christian guy who's really hirsute and prickly and he kisses you on both cheeks at a French Christian conference, that can be a bit of a shock, I can tell you. But culturally, that's appropriate. What's appropriate in our culture? How do we extend that warm greeting in our city? Well, I think we start with a handshake, but maybe a hug as well. But, you know, not everybody is happy with that. So let's be really sensitive to who we are. Let's understand what that means. But what is the truth in there? The truth is warmly greet each other as members of the family, as members of the body of Christ. That's how you apply that. Because the thing is, when we build our lives on Scripture, it changes us. It absolutely changes us. Do you know, you can read, and and you'll hear when you do the study during the week, about some people whose lives were changed just by reading this one. And it's no accident that I've pulled out my study book on Romans. They'll tell you in the the video, if you watch that, or if you do it in your groups, about people who said, you know, I just read Romans, and it changed me. It changed me. Now, you can read Romans. Who's read Romans? Was it a really simple, easy book to read? Was it challenging? Was it hard? Okay, don't give up. Look to somebody who's done the research and try and find what it might mean. We actually, in fact, it was only a year or two after I'd started here at the church, I did a study series, a teaching series on Romans. And so this is one of my source materials. It's John Stott. It's Romans. Do you know, just Romans. There's there's so much else in the library. Just Romans will help you understand your Christian life. Because Paul is writing to a bunch of Gentiles in a city where they study all kinds of other gods and life is all over the place, Emperor Nero, blah, 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 and he explains in precise detail what it is to live for Christ. And you know, to have somebody like John Stott work through that verse by verse and help you is brilliant. If you're reading the Bible, great. If you want to get the most out of it, look for worthy well-written commentaries to help you find that as well. Paul ends up in Rome. Paul ends up in Rome. What's that? Got another one there, have I? No, okay. So Paul ends up in Rome. He follows up his letter, letter to the Romans, with a visit. But this trip isn't like any other. At the end of Acts, Paul's under house arrest and he's waiting, you know, waiting trial before the emperor. What's he doing while he's there? Sharing the good news. (laughs) He's captors. He's telling them about Jesus. He hasn't stopped. His guards are hearing. And so we're looking to the end here. And and it's like Acts. There's one more book, which Claire's going to talk about next week. Acts has an open ending. That's why I said, you are here. It's not like all the loose ends are tied up and we understand what happens to Paul. No, it's like there's been this growth that's happening and happening and happening and then Acts kinds of ends. It doesn't say, and that was the end of the church. 
doesn't say any of those kinds of things. That is still happening. That's why those, those 2.3 billion Christians around the world today, that's why we're here. That's why we're filled with the Holy Spirit, because we're part of that ongoing story of the church age. If it were a film or a novel, you'd get to the end and you'd say, well, now what? Obviously, they're leaving time for the sequel, clearly. But that's because this story continues. Christians, people, ordinary people, filled with the same spirit as Peter and Paul and James and Barnabas, all of those that you know. We can now take the good news to others. And scripture continues to change lives. So this, then, is our vision. Band, come up, please. This, then, is our vision. Our mission and our vision. You, we, I, we are now part of God's story. But what do we need? We need the fullness of Christ. We need that indwelling of the Holy Spirit that Jesus said he would send, that Jesus had to go to heaven for, so that he could send the Holy Spirit, one like him who would come alongside. You will receive power, he promises. You will receive power. Thank you, Taya, for your word as we were, as we were praying and as we were worshipping there. Because do you know what? We can't do this without God. Can't do it without God. And we can't do it without the Holy Spirit. We can't. We need the Holy Spirit so that we can live that life we're called to. So that we can put aside the rubbish. We've been changed. The rubbish has gone. The old has gone. The new has come. And in the Holy Spirit, we can. Do that business of putting our bodies down as a living sacrifice. If we come across blockages, we turn to God and ask him for help. But we celebrate day by day by day the indwelling of the Holy Spirit that enables us to live for him. I couldn't come up here and tell you any of this stuff without knowing that God has saved me. I couldn't come up here and try to explain anything from the Bible without the Holy Spirit just reminding me of the things I've read over the decades, the things I've read just this week to try and, and, and help you understand and help me understand. I couldn't say these things with any honesty and with any reality in my life unless I was living them. And like you, there's struggles. Like you, there's difficulties. Like you, I have circumstances in my life to deal with. A mum who's ill and 400 miles away. Children who are facing their own difficulties and circumstances. We all have those. Needs that, that there are within our communities that we want to try and meet. Our neighbours who we look at them and think, how can I show you love? Because there's this wall and, and, and people don't break out of their homes. But I need God. I'm so glad that he sent his Holy Spirit that I might know him in each and every one of those circumstances. Just as we sing this last song, I want to invite you to stand. I want to invite you to stand and just ask God again for the Holy Spirit. Let's stand now. Could you start to play, please? If you want a particular point of prayer, and let, let, let me be honest here, this means that I'm going to pray that you will meet with the Holy Spirit. Not I'm going to pray for your needs to be met. I'm going to pray that you're meet, going to meet with the Holy Spirit. 
come to the front. And Claire can come, and Mike and Tara maybe, and, and Ros, if you'd like to come uh, to the front. And let's pray with people if they if they want to, you know, really connect with God. Maybe receive the Holy Spirit for the first time. Maybe get a new indwelling of the Spirit in them, a refreshing, a renewal. But right now, if you want to just close your eyes. I just want to ask you to do something really un-British. If you know that you need God and the Holy Spirit right now, let's just put your hand up. If you need the Holy Spirit right now, Father God, I thank you. Lord Jesus, I thank you, Lord, that we know you. Oh, Holy Spirit, come. Fall like fire. Burn in our hearts. Holy Spirit, Open our ears and our eyes, Lord. I don't ever want to miss anything, Holy Spirit, that you're saying or doing. And I do. I miss so much. But Holy Spirit, come. And every one of us now, lifting our hands up in whatever way, Lord, I just pray, Holy Spirit, you will come and fill us anew and afresh today, that we might be transformed from the inside out, that we would live that life for you, that all the rubbish of our old life is swept away by by everything you did on the cross. But the power to live that way comes from you, Holy Spirit. And as we lay our lives down daily in sacrifice, uh, in worship, offering our bodies to you, that living sacrifice, in all the, the mundane things, as well as some of the great things we do, Lord, you will fill us. And from that will come growth as we are able to, to pray for people and see things changed in their life, miraculous things. As we can then teach and preach the good news because they've seen you in action. And Lord, we can see growth happen in our lives, in our areas, in our towns, in our small groups, in our communities, in all those things. Holy Spirit, come right now in Jesus' name. If you want some prayer, come to the front now. There won't be an extended time. Just come. And if you want to help with praying, those people are invited. Lord Jesus, we lift your name. Lord Jesus, we bless you. We honor you. Lord, yours alone is the honor, the power, the glory, the majesty. All things, Lord, have been given to you. Lord Jesus, all things placed under your feet. All things, whatever we might see in our lives, Lord, they are subject to you. They are under your feet, Lord. But also all majesty and glory has been given to you, Lord. When we celebrate, you are there, Lord Jesus. Lord, I just pray you would encourage us in our celebrations this week and you will sustain us in our trials and difficulties too. Lord Jesus, you alone, you alone. That's what Paul said, Christ alone. In Christ alone we sing. Lord Jesus, we look to you as Lord and Saviour anyone would come to you, if anyone would acknowledge you as Lord, as Christ as Messiah, they will be saved. Hallelujah. Thank you, Lord. And thank you, Holy Spirit, that you came to be one like Jesus, alongside, inside, filling me, filling all of us, that we might live this life. And as I go home, as I go out this week, as I do all the things that are in my diary, uh, as, as I do all the things that aren't in my diary, that come across my path, Holy Spirit, you're with me. Your counsel is there. Your strength is there. You encourage me. You come in gentleness and, and gently lift me through the difficult times. You come in power. You come in strength when I need you, when I need to pray. Thank you. 
Lord, I just pray to, I just want to bless everyone here this morning that you will know that experience this week. And as we look forward to what we're going to hear next week about what a future you have for us, let us remember all the things that we have right now, that we are here in Acts. We are here in the church age. And let us reach out to you for all those things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.